Welcome to episode 48 of Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy and with me as always is Matt Leach. Hello, how are you? Good. We're in San Diego. West Coast. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, how are you feeling? Pretty good. It's been a bit of a whirlwind. Um, (sighs) I'm tired. We just came back from interviewing one of your design legends. Yeah, Dan Styles. Which is obviously what this episode is all about, and regular listeners are probably expecting to get to that really quickly, but we got about half an hour of really good quality content. But this is the first time that Matt and I have had a chance to sit down and chat with each other, so we thought we'd just kind of... Just kind of go through what happened today. Digest. It's, it's a huge conference. I Look, I don't know what you were expecting. I knew it was going to be pretty techy, so maybe I was expecting a smaller room with... Less people, I don't know, but there's like eleven thousand people here. Yeah, you you didn't make the breakfast this morning, but like that for me, walking to the breakfast. We went room, to the piano bar before last <laughs> night. So, so hold on, hold on. We need to hear about this. So I've heard a little bit about it, but I haven't had the whole story. So a piano bar with interactive, interpretive dance. Well, yeah, by from some of the people heading to the conference, there was some interpretive dance what? going on. Yeah, so we're in we're in San Diego, and I arrived a little bit earlier than than you. We're with, with some people from Adobe who are looking after our group, you know, in true conference style. We had a few drinks and we ended up at a um, dueling piano bar. And the only time I've ever been to one of these was in Vegas. So, just so talk maybe me it's through, a West Coast thing or something. Talk me through what a dueling piano bar is. Oh, it's just is. like there's a stage and there's two pianos that face each other and they play songs that the crowd requests. The one I saw in Vegas, it was like a male versus female situation. So, this really handsome young guy playing on a white piano and his whole thing was playing love songs and um, Bowie and Elton John and all this sort of stuff. And the other side was like this bit more kind of grungy rocker dude with a beard. And he's like, come on, guys, like if we get 20 bucks, then we get to play this Metallica song or something like that. Oh, um, so, so you pay for each song, yeah? Yeah. So uh, the one that we were at was much more casual. Um, right. It was a smaller crowd, really good. But um, basically, you you write down what, what song you want to hear and you bribe them and then they might play your song. So the more money you <laughs> give them, the more likely they are to play the song. Right. But yeah, it was a ton of fun. But I mean... So where'd, just, where'd the interactive dancing come from? I don't know. I don't know what the interactive dancing business is, but there was a couple of uh, members who will remain nameless from, from seen, Australia and New videos. Zealand who got involved. Yeah. They got up on the stage and <laughs> yeah, it was good times. Yeah. So I, I got to California a little bit earlier than you did because I kind of worked in a family holiday. Yep. I've just been sort of traveling. I did the Big Sur Road. If anyone's ever been to California before, that's like the, the coast road. Right. Can I just point out that learning to drive on the wrong side of the road on the Big Sur roads is pretty challenging. Right. But do you know what saved me? There was a Sega Mega Drive game that actually went on the Big Sur roads. Oh, right. <laughs> so there was bits where I was like, I've got this. Having I'm flashbacks. Cool. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, it was pretty It was pretty scary driving a massive uh, kind of camper van. You had like a Winnebago kind of thing, didn't you? Yeah, kind of. It was... um, But like a Shitabago? Like... <laughs> it was not very good, right? No, no. Actually, um, I tweeted uh, a photo that was actually not ours. It was, it was one I saw oh, on okay. Venice Beach. I was, I thought it was like <laughs> a Breaking Bad kind of situation. No, no, right. we, we actually had a pretty cool little thing. I had awful trouble getting into the, into LA actually. So because of the drugs? Yeah. <laughs> like I thought it was completely legal there. Now I was just bringing <laughs> the good just, stuff. Just assumed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
You know, I got I got there, and apparently they're looking for this guy called Matthew James. So okay. my my middle name is James, right? And so I got um, removed from my family, kind of forcefully, mm. and led to like a windowless room where I was like questioned for like forty five minutes. I felt like I was in like some TV show. Yeah, it was like it was full on, and I made it worse by arguing with them. Oh, you? Yeah. Really? Can you believe it? Did you push back? That's, yeah. Okay. So it got to the point where they were trying to force me to strip. So you gotta you gotta pay Matt Leach to strip. <laughs> it was intense, and I was like screaming about like I want my lawyer. It was like completely off, like a Hollywood movie. Great. <laughs> anyway, we're here, so let's let's talk about what great what we got up to cool. today because today was pretty full on. I mean, it started sure. with like a, a three hour kind of. Expose. Yeah, so anyone that's been to conferences before, the format that they have, which I thought was really cool actually, was with this many this many people, is there's the giant the giant thing downstairs, which is like the biggest probably the biggest conference center I've ever been to in my life. I don't know about you, but it was huge. I mean we, we, we we're in like the fourth row. I know we're and that was the ridiculous <laughs> thing because we had to come in that other entrance because we were press. Yeah. Um and I think we'd been sat there for like fifteen minutes and then I looked behind us and I was like yeah, like, I didn't realize it went back that far and there were so many people behind us. So all the plebs were sitting <laughs> sitting behind us. Um, but there's about 10,000, 11,000 people in the room um, and we're just in this enormous, enormous stage. And then later they had breakout rooms throughout the day. Um, some we got to see, some we didn't. But yeah, it was pretty mind, pretty mind-blowing. So they had this amazing screen that was uh, kind of had angles in it. Right. And so they were projecting onto it, which gave... But it was but like 3D projected mapping It stuff. made this amazing kind of 3D kind of effect without having the glasses on. And if you want a really shitty version of that, I'm sure one of us tweeted a film of it or something. But it doesn't do it justice, of course, because it no. worked with the angles of and the light and everything. Yeah. So, But yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. So the format of this morning's presentation was basically going through all their new products, their updates to products... Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yep, and like XD going from different versions of beta or coming coming out of beta, I think. And yeah, yeah, new products that are coming out and all that sort of stuff. There's that new 3D product, Felix. Didn't really understand what was going on, but it kind of looks like that anyone can do 3D really easily now. I think that's about right. Which is kind of probably scary for 3D artists, is it? Or, Oof, we could talk about that for a very long time. Go on. Uh, well, I mean, that's the same thing they said when Mac computers came through, right? Yep. This is going to destroy the print designer the industry you know this mac computers coming along and Did so it? Did no, it it's the same thing as squarespace right <laughs> squarespace comes along and it's like oh these gonna it's stop the all. end of the web yeah no yeah. it's it's not same no. thing as those you know crowdfunding for logos that are going to be a 100 bucks it's not really taking the lunch of the industry it's yeah, a good point the i guess my takeaway from that because they at their one point they put all the products up right on, on the screen and oh yeah that's scary I I didn't even know there was that many products they had. Right. I mean, you you had to explain to me that the 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 BE kind of product was Behance, and I was like, oh, of course, yeah, they bought Behance, right? Good. Um, but Do you remember then, what TK is? No. Typekit. Oh yeah, of yeah. course, yeah. But just the whole, like, I just didn't know, and like, you know, this you're going to take the piss out of me, I know, but sure. you know, back in the past, in on my CV, I had like my under my skills, I yeah. had Adobe just as Adobe, because at the time it was Photoshop, 
Illustrator InDesign. And you just typed that on your typewriter and faxed it off did, to get I a did. job? <laughs> um, Morse code. Sure, yeah. Like saturation, right? Uh, well, yeah. It's a lot. Because um, does it, anybody know everything? Oh, is it? Would it even be possible? I mean, that's interesting because when we're in, we're in some press conference, I think with the CEO, COO and CFO. Uh, yeah, lots of, of C's. Or yeah. the C-suite, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. And I think someone actually brought that up. People way th- above our pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was um, Sean from... Um, Tech Day from New Zealand. Yeah. So, yeah. He, he was asking great questions. And I think he actually asked, is it possible for anyone to know all the products now? Yeah. And I think I, what he said something like, Yes, it is, but they probably work for Adobe. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, which was pretty funny. But yeah, I mean, it makes it comes back to that generalist specialist thing. Yep. Right. Like what? What do I do? So you pick your corner and you scratch away at that. I don't know, dude. I don't have the I don't have the solution to this one. This I mean, this worries me all the time. Like I've got into programs, and you can just go down a rabbit hole. Yeah. I think I think we're at a point, hopefully, where and this is this is I, I'm speaking for guessing at most designers that I know in my experience. And I'm sure there's people out there that are absolute specialists in certain programs. And I think of like some motion designers and things like that, that understand codecs and formats and compression far better than I ever, than I ever will. And they're very specialist in that area. Maybe they do know everything. But I think for most of us, I don't think the goal is to learn the program the best. It's more about understanding enough to do the job that you need to do and staying ahead of it before you need to do the job, if that makes sense. It kind of does. For example, if someone says to you, Matt, I want you to work on this project, or by the way, I need a 30-second video because I have these pre-roll credits from an old client that I'm going to roll into this new one or something like that. For whatever reason, they're like, can you do a quick version for me? Because all I do is sell flowers. That's what I do for a living. So you're the only person I know. It's a low-budget but they can afford to pay you, but they couldn't afford to pay like a proper motion designer. If you'd never open Premiere Pro or whatever, <laughs> After Effects and everything like that, can you say yes or do you have to turn that person down? Yeah, it's it's an, and it goes deeper than that as well because say I have opened Premiere and After Effects, yeah. I could spend, you know, four or five hours kind of getting this kind of like little short together for them. But then there could be another program out there which kind of automates everything. She's keynote. Which which <laughs> which which would take maybe ten minutes. And so then right. that, that is worth doing. But yep. the four or five hour job is not worth doing. Right. And I think, you know, it, it taps into that sort of uh FOMO kind of mentality in the sense. Totally. Yeah, totally. Because because it's it's like I feel like I need to be on top of everything so I know the best one to use. Exactly. But yeah. then I can't be on top of everything. Yeah, yeah. So, I, man, it's a good question that probably doesn't have an answer. And it's probably different for everybody. Mm. But definitely for me, I don't want to spend a minute more or an hour more or a day more in a program than I need to. I think at this stage, I don't want to be the guy that knows how to bevel the best in yep. Photoshop yep. or Illustrator, you know? Or know all those things in Photoshop that you, you maybe never will actually need to use. Right. And this is the problem with education. It's like, you know, how much do you teach of Photoshop because it's a problem of education. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, one of the ones I found interesting was Spark, uh, yeah, which was kind of a bit of a joke when it first came out, I guess, right? Because it was kind of like 
it was trying to do something we were like well, we're fine like we don't we don't need that but some of the upgrades that they've just released i felt like oh, okay i can actually see i can see how that would be useful in a kind of workflow yeah it's like a published all platform it's not see, it's not really for us it's for like marketers and yeah people doing a lot of social media so you can quickly do some sort of mock-up yeah. and publish to all and kind of slow down that process which i'm very aware of and i'm sure actually a lot of designers do that as well like maybe for your studio or maybe for your you know, it's the first thing to go, isn't it? Because it takes a lot of time yeah. to do. But there's that you, there's return on investment that you need because you need to put some investment into actually learning this and actually getting around to it. And I, I got to speak to a couple of people who've been working on the Spark project, I guess you could call it, and mm. and they were really saying like, if people take it up, it will become amazing because yeah, because they'll they'll get the kind of funding they need to kind of push it to even the next level. Sure. Yeah, but it's this whole thing, and it feels like you know maybe they're they're putting out a whole bunch of stuff, hoping that something kind of sticks. Yeah, it was it was kind of eye opening for me that how dated I may be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because there's a this is the tech side of things, right? This mm. is the software, you know. This is this is where we're talking about all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, we're probably both feeling that way, Matt. <laughs> um, so I guess the other thing that we got to do was we got to hang out with a lot of, um, I think they call them influencers. And yep. so uh, got to hang out and just kind of, you know, talk about what was happening in the industry and, and kind of compare what's happening in Australia to, you know, stuff that's happening overseas yep. in, in multiple sort of different areas. We got to meet Debbie Millman. Yeah, so Debbie Millman from Design Matters, the best podcast in the world, basically. But we both turned into like little fanboys. Oh, I definitely turned into a fanboy. I Yeah, like we saw um, Aaron Draplin. Yeah. Aaron James Draplin from across the thing. We're like, hey, hey, Aaron, how's it going? Big fan. He came up, had a chat. That all was good hilarious. In the hood. Saw, saw Debbie. And I'm like, hi, Debbie. I know. She, she asked me how my day was and I was like, it's fine. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, she's <laughs> the best. Um but- so we were with Frankie from Design Kids and she said to Debbie, like, oh, I saw you at AIGA, you know, how are you doing? We were on a panel together. You know, I bet you've been to like three different conferences in that time. And Debbie said, oh, I've been to four. Yeah. And it was just like, I mean, like, just over. what yeah. must her, like, kind of day-to-day look like? She just... Yeah, what is her life? It would be full on, wouldn't it? For sure. I yeah. want to talk about Aaron Draplin, though, because that was, that was a pretty awesome kind of, like, catch-up. It was like a... what. 10 minute catch up as on we're on our way to like meet Dan Styles. Yeah, so um so basically like just so everyone understands we are getting to the Dan yeah, Styles interview. We're about to <laughs> we're about to get there and on our way on our way here we were just in this particularly great situation where there's this huge conference and then we were lucky to be part of press and press was lucky to be grouped together with all of the influencers as Matt said. So when we're talking about we bumped into Debbie Millman and we bumped into Frankie and we bumped into Aaron Draplin we bumped into them at like the lunch table, like, yeah, you know, just like, oh, hey, I'm standing next to Aaron Draplin. So it was like a really cool kind of space and just a great kind of very, you know, fantastic place for us to be. We were with a whole bunch of serious press people and then Matt and Flynn from a podcast. That's been a bit weird, I have we, to say, that there's been little bits where I sat next to someone like from the Wall Street Journal and they were asking all these awesome questions. Well, the dude on the end was the editor of TechCrunch. Yeah. But yeah, bumped into Aaron James Draplin. If you don't know who that is, he's incredible. You probably do. He's pretty prolific now. But one of Dan's quotes, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, it's something like, don't meet your heroes. Because they're probably assholes. Because they're assholes or worse, boring, I think, (laughs) is the quote, which I think is really cool that boring is worse than an asshole. And the whole time I was thinking about 
when we were chatting to Dan, which is one of your heroes, is Aaron Draflin is one of mine. Sort of did the whole kind of don't want to make a big deal. Maybe he like just he just finished his a talk or something like that, and just sort of went, "Hey, Aaron Draflin, like big fan, big fan," and he like came up and gave us like a big high five yeah. and just started this whole conversation about his recent tip, trip to Australia so, so and, this drop, is what I, and drop bears. I, I and actually really want to talk about this because he was in Australia. So he was brought out by a college. He couldn't remember what the name was of the college. And we had no idea who they are. We've got no idea. I never heard that he was out here. He did three cities. He did Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. Right. And he he kind of complained to us that it wasn't very well attended. Well, he just, I think, I don't know if he complained that it wasn't, it wasn't well attended, but he, but he, just, he just sort of said that when he was like on the way back and he was doing his social media stuff or whatever, a lot of people said, oh my God, if I knew you were here, he was yeah. kind of inundated with people saying, if I knew you were here, I would have come to see. But I think it, it sounds like it was kind of like a private thing that was kind of a bit more right. under wraps or something like that. I mean, I guess if, if there's any listeners out there who know the college... <laughs> that brought him out. I, not not because I, I just want to know what what the situation was because I think like you know someone like that. It's like we if they're coming to our shore, we kind of really need to like kind of make a big thing about it. Yeah, well, I mean, a big deal was made about Jessica Walsh and exactly. Saggy. So yeah. Saggy. <laughs> Let's talk about Dan. Cool. So you like this guy? I like this guy. As in his work and yeah, also know, also a, a Portland designer. So. Yeah. So we actually we probably should mention that. I mean. Dan's not an Australian. Dan's not an Australian. So this was a tough thing for us because we were we were kind of next to some of these people and we had this conversation about like, are we allowed to kind of interview these people or talk to these people? Right. So I mean when we were thinking about putting this together, we didn't want to we didn't want to be Skyping people from around the world and mm. having conversations with people that are already on podcasts. This is about Australia and Australian designers. So but you know what? Fuck it. Like, <laughs> um, Matt was really excited. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. So I've got a couple. Uh, so if anyone who doesn't know Dan Styles, uh, basically he's everyone knows about the American sort of gig posters, the band posters. Um, it's it's something strangely we don't tend to do over here. Um, we we tend to just do that kind of um, you know reprint the album cover and throw some dates on it, where they really go to town and they do like a completely original kind of limited press sort of run of you know a, a, of a band coming to a particular city you know there's a whole collector scene based around it like a lot of people are throwing it straight onto ebay and charging 10 times as much and hmm. um you know it's, it's a it's a legitimate kind of art scene so this this was really big in this kind of psychedelic area um and there were lots of some really amazing artists who really kind of were the grandfathers of this. And then in the kind of late 80s, kind of early 90s, I guess there was a whole resurgence of it. Right. And Dan Dan is one of those people who kind of cool. who, who was kind of like the forefront of kind of um, the resurgence. And particularly in, you know, Portland, Oregon, San Francisco, that, that kind of area. Yeah. So for me and particularly the bands he was kind of like doing posters for was, was a real interest. It was like grunge era, mm. um, you know, lots of like, um, Sonic youth and mud honey and, you know, all that kind of stuff built to spill. Yeah. I mean, I've got a couple of his posters on my wall at home. So, yeah. you know, when, when we saw him there, I was like, Oh my God, that's Dan styles. And you were like, who? So, <laughs> Alex. But just um, so it was, it was, it was a real pleasure to meet him, and he's just a really nice guy. So, um, should we just jump into it? We will jump into it. Um, just a warning that this was recorded on yeah. the roof of the San Diego Convention Center, 
which I didn't know until I got there, which is, is right basically next, a military base. It's right next to an aircraft carrier. Um, so there were, yeah. There Blackhawks, like, flying above us. It's actually not that bad. Um, so basically, you can hear everything that Dan says, but we've just kind of brought ourselves back out of it a little bit. So the audio for Dan is great. Audio for us is a little bit sketchy. It is what it is. Dan was such a great guy. There's some really interesting insights. Enjoy. Seems a pity to be doing this without beer. Seems like a very beery oh, kind of thing to do. do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. beer or whiskey. Um, it may be our first one that we've done without beer. Oh, so. First American and no beer. That's. <laughs> It's disgraceful, really, isn't it? <laughs> Do you want to start from your... We'll wait for that guy to go. That's going to happen. I feel like they're just going back and forth. I'm not sure if they're patrolling the coastline for ISIS or something. But... <laughs> that's, um, that's our competitor. Our yeah, exactly. competitor. Drowning out the show. It's going to start throwing zombies out of it soon. What, what movie is that where they're dumping the zombies out of the... Anyway. Oh, X. World, World War Z. Z. Yes. Z, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to ADR, uh, and you're obviously from Portland, Oregon. Not uh, from, but that's where I live now. It seems like a real hotbed at the moment. It for, is, it is. I mean, has I, it always been that way and we're well, just hearing it now? Or? I think you're just hearing it now. It has been, the whole Pacific Northwest has really been uh, sort of this gem that got discovered in the early 90s, I think when Seattle blew up. Yeah. Uh, I think previous to that, most people probably couldn't have told you where Oregon was on a map. I mean, maybe they still can't, but, but Portland is now the media darling. Uh, but it's it's been growing for an awfully long time, uh, almost to its own detriment now. I think it's gotten too popular. Oh, really? Kind of like when a band kind of crests that point. They sign their major label release, and like you can hear them on the stuff. radio, and nobody likes them anymore. Uh, <laughs> I think Portland, Portland is getting yeah. to that point. Yes. Right. So um, how long have you been there for? I have been there. Uh, I went to college at U of O. Moved up, to, uh, that which is in Eugene, which is south of, of Portland. I moved up to Portland in the mid-90s. Um, and back then, the economy was still based largely on lumber, and it was, uh, there was no work, especially no design work. Uh, and so I wound up moving down to San Francisco and riding out the dot-com wave down there. And then when that crumbled, I moved back up north uh, and, and settled in Portland in about 2001, I think. So you've worked for like some massive clients like Nike, Nickelodeon, IBM, but you're probably best known for the band posters, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing for us because we don't really do that in Australia. Like we, we tend to just put the cover of someone's album and, and that's kind of it. Mm. So how, how did you get into it? I think it's a distinctly American phenomenon. I, um, I got into it through, actually the whole reason I got into art in general, at least as a profession, is through punk rock in the 80s. Uh, and the DIY culture of every every show had a cool hand-drawn flyer, uh, and I collected them. Just I tore them off, you know, telephone poles and hung them on my walls at home. And at that point, uh, you know, I was a kid. I was drawing cartoon characters and comic books and whatnot. And and once I became involved in punk, I took all that I had learned from drawing Wolverine and the X-Men, and I started drawing the Black Flag logo and, and stuff like that. And so uh, I think, and I think a lot of people, if you talk to people sort of in our age group, a lot of people entered into graphic design through music. Um, maybe they weren't a musician, but they, their love of house music or whatever drew them in, and now they, they did album covers, they did, you know, what have you. Uh, and so that's, that's how I got into this, and most of the people I know got into skateboarding. Every skateboard deck had awesome art on it, every album had awesome art, every t-shirt was awesome. And so it was the first time in my life that I saw art as, as a viable anything. I didn't think of it as a commodity yet, but it was like, wow, look at all this great stuff. Uh, and that's what drew me in, and it wasn't actually until uh, 90s when I moved to the Northwest um, 
that I started doing posters for all the touring acts that were coming through my college town. And, uh, you know, Mud Honey and, and all those bands were, they were in Seattle and they were traveling up and down between Seattle and San Francisco and they would stop in Eugene to play a show and I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time and started doing posters for them. Uh, but even at that point, I thought I was the only person on earth doing them because the internet hadn't, hadn't really picked up speed yet. And so I knew that there were the 60s guys, but they were all sort of done. Uh, and nobody really did it in the 70s or 80s uh, to any large degree. Uh, so I was just doing flyers, black and white flyers. And, and it wasn't until I saw a copy of The Stranger, uh, which was Art Chantry, oh no, The Rocket, The Rocket magazine that came out of um, Seattle. And Art Chantry was the art director of that. And he put out uh, an edition that had Coop and Frank Kozik and all these Pablo, all these early second wave designers. And they were all screen printing and making these beautiful posters. And here I'm making these, these kind of shitty black and white Xerox things. I'm like, oh, I need to step up my game. Like there's other people doing this and they're doing it way better than me. Uh, and so I, I taught myself how to screen print and, uh, and the rest of it really just grew from there, which is kind of the, the how the, my book title is One Thing Leads to Another and my entire career yeah, so has, has really been based on, you know, you do something, you go someplace, another door opens. Uh, it's also the way I, I do my design process. I don't necessarily sit down with a sketch of what I'm going to execute. I usually sit down with kind of a, an idea or a, a notion and then I see where that takes me. Uh, so, in general, my philosophy is, is one thing leads to another, and I found it to be true so far. I mean, you know, I'm here with you. Yeah. A week ago, I didn't know who you were, and you know, now we're having a conversation in San Diego. You know. <laughs> I mean, firstly, I've got to say that I've got a Built to Spill poster on my wall at home. The Peacock is, one? Yeah, yeah, which is one of my favorite posters. Uh, but you've, are you moving away from music illustration, though? No, I still I still do them. I think it's interesting in that uh, the poster, the second wave of posters uh, that started in the 90s and carried through to now uh, was really ba based around indie rock. And I think indie rock's kind of going away. Yeah. Uh, there aren't that many people that the hip hop audience is not that keen on posters for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but you just don't. I feel like there's we're kind of waiting for the next musical resurgence that contains guitars to happen. Yeah. Uh, which may may not happen. Maybe rock is dead. I don't know. But uh, so I still do posters. I do. But I only do about one a month. Uh, but I'm trying to make each one really good. Uh, if you're doing a lot of them, you can get into this thing where you're banging them out, and they and you you don't get to spend the amount of time you want with them anymore. So I still do it because it's uh, it's central to the reason I got into design, and it's still central to the reason I continue to do design. Uh, and it's what you brought up earlier, the, the big name clients I work for, they all come to me because of the posters. Yeah, um, and those are, those are my seed beds for ideas and techniques because it's a low risk proposition to do a, do a poster. And if something fails, it sucks, but it's not the end of the world. Uh, but the bigger clients come to me, they saw the built to spill poster, they say, you know, give me something like that. And they don't want to take any risks. Uh, so I, I wind up kind of recreating something I've already done. So what happens to the musicians though? Like, cause, cause those, you know, I mean, your posters are so diverse. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it, is there a brief? Not generally. Really? Uh, there's usually an email and it, it'll be like, oh, you know, we really like this thing you did or, you know, we're a, we're a loud and in your face band. And, you know, I just did something for a band called Capital Cities, which is much more poppy than I usually do. Right. Uh, and the brief was something along the lines of we're poppy and fun and we like color. And uh, <laughs> and but the last sentence, the entire thing was a forward email. It's like, but just have fun with it. And, and that's what a lot of people come to me for and I think a lot of people in this genre is they if you step in as a client and start art directing the product goes south really quickly right. and you can uh, the, the kids you know the, the, the people who are buying these things the people who are into it uh, can smell that 
they can they can kind of sense when there's been too much corporate hand uh, in creating stuff because you know the corporations are always trying to like reach the kids and but you can always see those campaigns you, you're driving on the street you're like yeah that's what you think the kids like yeah you know so and I'm not even a kid anymore but I feel like I'm still a little bit plugged in with at least not making really sold out looking stuff uh, so they they know they know better than to get in there and meddle with it too much. And is, is it often by email that most of these things? All of it is or? by email, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be able to do what I do without the internet. Uh, people wouldn't see my work, clients wouldn't know where to find me. I wouldn't be able to sell the posters because a lot of the posters, uh, you know, I make my money in the aftermarket by, by the design fee on those is not large enough to make it worth the amount of time I put into them. But if I get a hundred of them to sell for 30 bucks each, you know, then, you know, it makes it worth it. Right, so do you, so you retain the artistic rights to sell? I retain, places. well, I, what we do is we do a limited run. They're only printed once, but we do right. 250 and I get 100 of them, or, or we do 100 and I get 60 of them, or whatever. We, we work out, uh, and then those get sold online, and it, you know, things like uh, Flatstock, and we heard about Flatstock, a big, big poster show that we do here. Right. Um, and then obviously you can use it in your book. Right, and I, you know, I retain the rights to the art, but I can't, I don't actually retain any kind of right to the band's name, so I can't just start making, you know, Metallica posters and selling right. them or what have you because, right, because that would be bootleg merchandise. It also, because of the posters are limited edition, if you reprint them, it's considered kind of a no-no because uh, they're collectible. You know, they're meant to be, I have one of 125 of these things, and if they keep coming out, you know, what's the point? So, well, I mean, I guess also a lot of the people in the genre tend to maybe have a message that they're pushing through through their posters. Do you think you have a... No. no. I'm, I'm, you know. <laughs> um, uh, what I try to do, and it's interesting because it's very different from, say, editorial art, which I also do, or, or book yeah. covers. You know, if you, do a, if you do a cover for a book, it better say something about the book, right? You know, you can't just stick a random picture on the cover of a book. That would be false advertising. But... But posters is really about taking something that's cool, which is a rock band or a musical act, and making them look even cooler. And so there, there isn't necessarily like you have to show, well, the band has four members, like who cares, you know? And just do something really awesome that, that when I just try to describe it to people, I, I say it fits the vibe. It has to, when somebody who loves the band sees the poster, there can't be a disconnect. They have to go, oh yeah, you know? And so there's no, there's no real good way to sum that up scientifically. Um, you can't measure a vibe, but I feel like you, it's, a, it's a gut thing. You, you know it. And so I try to, I research the bands. I, I, if I don't know them already, I listen to their catalog. I go to their Wikipedia. I go to their website. I look at other stuff they've produced visually in the past. And I try to make sure that what I'm making suits what they're doing and, and makes them look better. And, and so, the, no, there isn't a political message in there. And I don't really like, uh, not that I don't like political messages, but I feel like it's not, maybe not the place for it. Yeah. Although you recently did a Trump poster. Uh, that was an illustration. That wasn't a poster. That was an illustration for Cleveland Magazine. Um, Cleveland, where the Trump, uh, where the Republican National Convention was, yeah. hired me to do picture. They didn't run it, by the way. That's not an act. They never got, never saw the light of day. I read an interview where you said you don't generally like, and I'm talking more about corporate clients, I mm -hmm. guess, but you don't generally like to send them like sketches. I or can't. Um, because of this one thing leads to another process. I... And I don't know if you've ever seen my book, but I, I have a couple of pages where I, where I outline, like, here's the, how the process for this thing went down. That's actually what my talk here is about, is that, you know, I start here with the seed of an idea, but by the time I'm done, it may not resemble where I started at all. Right. And if I send them a sketch, I'm kind of locked into that because they're expecting, you know, the man holding the flowers or whatever I sent them. And then I just, I send them a ladybug. 
And they're like, well, what? And I'm like, well, I drew the man with the flowers and I drew this cruel ladybug on one of the flowers and I decided the ladybug was way cooler than the rest of it. So I just scrapped the rest of the piece and I blew up the ladybug and, you know, and that's how my process works. Uh, and that's how my, my thinking on these things works. And so it's very difficult for me to, to be locked down into just executing this little pencil sketch in a, in a bigger, more complete way. I, I liken it to going out there and finding a lost hiker in the woods. You know, it's like, well, I know they're out there somewhere and my job is to trek through the woods until I, I find my lost hiker. And that's, that's the final uh, idea, the final concept. But I, I rarely know exactly where I'm, I mean, if I knew where the hiker was, I'd just send in, you know, an airplane to go get him, right? But I don't, so I gotta go wander around. Does that make it very hard to kind of give time about like you know how, how long the job's going to take? You know, I've been doing this for so long that I've gotten kind of good at knowing I don't know where I'm going, yeah. but I have methodologies to finding that hiker. Uh, so I, I have processes, which is another thing I'm talking about here this weekend is, you know, how do you go about, I, I, I don't call it having an idea, I call it making an idea because you have to physically like, well, I've got two hours to make a poster. It takes more than two hours. Let's say 10 hours. Yeah. Um, you know, how am I going to start with a blank piece of paper and in the end wind up with a poster that I think suits the music and, and you know, what are the various methods I can do to get from A to Z uh, without, you know, having an aneurysm or whatnot, which is, you know, when faced with the blank piece of paper, it's a very frightening thing. And so I think most designers have developed processes in order to help them, help usher them along. Because I've, I've heard you talk about Sonic Youth Yes. So just for our listeners, that was... Uh, Well, the Sonic Youth is a a very important band to me because they were one of the really, I don't know if they were the the first noise band, but one of the first noisy bands uh, that I I really got into. And I, I really wanted to do an amazing poster for them. And I think I made 12 different posters because each one of them wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. And I, I wound up following this process, uh, for three days and it because I was self-editing and and I wound up throwing out all this this work I have a again back to this weekend I'm showing the Sonic Youth poster and and just one of the ideas what it took to flesh out one of the 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 one that actually turned into the poster it started out with you've seen the poster it's Sonic Youth coming in one ear and it's blood squirting out the other ear Um, but it started out the the initial idea was just this big ear with you know blood coming out but it just it didn't look right but I kept sort of mapping the area around that idea I was like, well, I know there's something in here, and if I keep drawing it and looking at it from different angles, I will eventually land on something I like. And you, you were kind of motioning drawing with a pencil and pen. Is that? Do you- uh, well, I use a Wacom. Use a Wacom. And so I don't. I mean, the, the issue with being a digital artist, and most people now kind of are digital artists in one way or another, whether they draw on a Cintiq, trying to make it look like pen and ink or whatnot. Very few people really sit down with an actual pen and paper and work it all the way through. So I find that if I make a pencil sketch and I spend a bunch of time, I just have to remake it later right. in digital form. So why not kind of just start digitally? And the, the Wacom tablet and Illustrator are just where I feel very at home now and I'm very fast and fluid. And, and the, what I like about it is it's kind of, it's when you're working with pen and ink, which is how I worked originally, at every step of the way, you're more and more committed to the idea. So, you know, you start with your, your blue lines, you're like, oh, all right, I got that. You start maybe putting some gray lines on that. And at a certain point, you start laying down ink. And once you start laying down ink, you're 100% committed to what you're drawing. Whereas digital, I can at the 11th hour go, you know what? I'm changing all of that. I'm taking that guy's head off. I hate his head. I'm going to redraw his head. Uh, or, you know, we're going to delete this whole part. We're going to make this part blue. We're going to zoom in and crop that whole part off. And so it's almost like working with clay that never hardens. And you can just keep pulling on it until the very last minute. Uh, and that's something that the, the digital process affords that I don't think any other process does. 
Uh, it's more like being a writer where you can consistently edit your manuscript yeah. until it goes on press. So how, how do you know when it's done though? Feels right. right. Or you run out of time. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever comes first. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hate releasing stuff that I don't like, so I, I really try to get it to a point where I can kind of sit back in the chair and go, ah, you know, because, and there's a, you can feel it coming. Um, you know, you're, it's an uphill trudge, and then, oh, it start, it's plateauing, like, I, I'm there, you know, you're like, all right, it's gelling. Uh, everything is really frightening up until that point, because you're like, everything I've made up until this point is better than this. And I'm, this, is, this is it, this is where it all ends. And you know, it's this sort of imposter syndrome. They're gonna find out I don't really know what I'm doing. And uh, you know, I'm, it's over. And then eventually it you know, plateaus. Like, oh, wait a minute, all right, I can make this work. I got this. Do you think that's a common problem with, um, say, artists in your field? Yes. I was talking to some people. We had the, the dinner last night, the Adobe Creative. Um, just all the speakers got together and so I'd, I was talking to some people I already knew um, for years and met some new people and imposter syndrome came up and everybody is like oh yeah, oh yeah all day long you know <laughs> I think you have to be a total narcissist not to have it um, you know because even if you've been doing this for 25 years who's to say your best work isn't behind you which but it's that terror maybe that drives you forward and keeps you up late making it right because if you get you know complacent maybe yeah. maybe maybe the best work is behind you at that point <laughs> so terror is Great, way. <laughs> Great word to use to describe. So coming to something like this and sort of seeing some of what Adobe is offering, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, how do you keep on top of it? I'm sure oh, it's so frightening. I, I sat through the keynote this morning. I'm like, oh, God, I've got like nine new pieces of software i got to learn. And I'm, I'm already learning new ones. I'm constantly, I mean, you know, Photoshop, Illustrator, and, and InDesign are, are like my sweet spot um, because I'm, I'm essentially an old school print guy. Um, I did do web design for a few years, but I just I don't really like it. Uh, but they're kind of, I mean, like, you know, Spark. I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. I could, you know, it's like all this stuff they're coming out with. Uh, and I'm, I'm doing more animation these days. So I'm doing InDesign and Animate, which is kind of flash with a revived. Um, it gets difficult because you really want to spend your time making things, but they're always improving the software, always coming up with better software, and you worry that you're going to be left behind. And uh, so I don't, I don't really know the answer to that question. I think you just keep, keep trudging on, keep updating, and and uh, and keep following what you're interested in. I mean, you know, maybe learning a web design program isn't worthwhile for me because I'm not interested that much in web design. And if it if it fell into my lap, I'd probably hire out for somebody else to do it. Uh, so speaking, picking your battles. Yes, yes. So right now, I mean, I'm focused pretty, pretty uh, heavily on After Effects because it's something I just want to, okay. I want to get good at. Right. Because my, I get hired a lot to draw the characters and do the storyboards for After Effects animations, and then the animation comes back to me, and I'm like, eh, could have been better, but I don't really know how to tell you what you could have done better because I'm not an After Effects guy. Uh, so I've been doing more animation work so that I can own that whole project when those come in and not just be the, the character designer. Is that something you think could apply to like the band stuff as well? I mean, does that take... Yeah, well, I, I think so. I mean, I think so much more stuff is going online and being... I mean, you know, you could easily take a poster and animate it and use it on your Instagram yep. uh, just to get some more eyeballs on it. And you, you see that now even with uh, editorial. If you go online to like newyorker.com, Oftentimes, the, the leading illustration to a story will be a brief animation. Very brief, three seconds, five seconds, but they'll take what is a static illust illustration and just the flowers may bloom or the hand may move. They're little, little stories, mini stories. Uh, and that's something I'm interested in, in pursuing. Talking about stories, your children's books. Yes, children's books. Uh, 
how do they come about? So uh, I have a rep in New York City, and he used to share an office in Dumbo, uh, in over in Brooklyn, with a small publisher. Uh, and he left some of my work on the desk one day, and and uh, the woman who worked for the publisher was like, "Hey, has this guy got any ideas for for children's books?" And every illustrator has ideas for children's books, just kind of sitting around. Uh, so I was like, "Well, yes, I do." Uh, and it, it, the funny thing is, is that I had all these first sort of traditional. You know, like a kid goes to bed and then they go up in the sky and turn the stars on and, you know, like, you know, things that would be kind of cute. Um, so I, I gave them two of those ideas. And then this other one, all it said was put on your shoes, because that's all I had worked out in my head was just, you know, put on your because I have two kids of my own. And they, at that point in time, they wouldn't put on their <laughs> shoes, you know, like getting them out the door is like you get to the door and then there's like a 15 minute battle to just yeah. put on, you know. So they were like, oh, this other stuff, we don't care about that, but this put on your shoes thing? Yeah, that's what we want. And, and I'm like, oh, all I've got is the title. Like, I don't know what that book looks like. So at that point, I had actually just had surgery. And so I laid in bed, like flat out on my back for 10 days, like working out what this book was gonna be. And it, it turned into the, the first book. I did a, a couple other ones for them as well. Is that yeah. something you want to do more of? I like doing a lot of things. I, I think, I mean, the woman who I was working with at that publishing house has since moved to a new job, uh, so that, connection you know one thing leads to another that connection is sort of temporarily closed yeah. other things are opening up uh, I do like doing children's work in general um, not just books but I do like fabric fabric design really fun I think it's just because kids are, are they're, they're bright and they're happy and they like simple fun things and it doesn't need to be too heavily especially the pattern design doesn't need to be too conceptual yeah it's just like lions and tigers let's have fun drawing lions and tigers like who doesn't want to do that all day like, yeah, it doesn't hurt your brain. It's just it's just drawing and making fun stuff. We picked out a quote that we really love that you you said, and it's where you said, "As a rule, I found it's a bad idea to meet your heroes. They're usually <laughs> assholes or worst." Totally yes. Boring. Is this where we get to talk about our chantry? Um, it it is. It's. I think a lot of it's all right. You know the book Ender's Game. Yep. Terrific book. One of the greatest pieces of sci-fi ever written. The guy's a raging homophobe. I didn't know that until years after I'd read the book, right? Um, and I had to, at a certain point in my life, learn to compartmentalize a person's work and them and keep the two separate because there, there is a lot of great work being made by all these different people. And, and you know, if they would just keep their mouths shut, you could just sort of be like, well, this guy does great work. But at some point, everybody wants to get up on stage and somewhere and, and spout ideas, which I try not to do, by the way. I talk about design. You know, I don't talk about politics. I don't talk about any of that um, because that's not, you know, I'm not like Bono. Like, who cares what you think about politics, dude? <laughs> like, you know, just sing me a song. Well, it's all back in the news now with Johnny Depp being in the, oh, does, I, the new Harry Potter movie. I haven't even heard, but I don't know if I want to hear. Um, so yeah, it's, it's troubling sometimes to, to meet people who you've uh, really admired their work for a long time, or, or even their writing or, or whatever it is they're doing, and then, and then you meet them and they're just, they're either extremely boring, and you're like, oh, you're very pedestrian. I thought you'd be just, you know, like, wow. Um, or, or they're kind of dicks. Or sometimes they're terrific. I mean, I met a lot of really, you know, even this, you know, going to that creative dinner the other night, the fellow speakers, there were, everybody there was lovely. Uh, so, uh, it's a bit of Russian roulette, I suppose. Now, jumping back to um, Portland, mm -hmm. is, is there a, a, a community feel there? I mean, from the outside, it looks like you're all catching up on Friday nights. But... Yeah, you would think. Um, uh, there is a community, there's a very strong creative community there. 
I unfortunately am one of those people who locks myself in my studio and, and I, you know, it's like, oh, there's a thing going on, but it's Wednesday night. I should really work. Uh, and I, I work an awful lot sort of late into the night every night and I don't go to these things and I always kick myself for it because I think part of having a career, a good career, is not just making good work, but you, you need to go out and meet people. You just, I mean, I'm meeting you now and I can guarantee you, whether it's a month down the road or a year down the road, something will come from this. Yeah. More than just talking now. I mean, some, somebody will hire me or and you, you don't know what's going to happen, right? But you need to do this. Uh, and I unfortunately don't do enough of it. Uh, I always say like, all right, this is the year I'm going to, you know, once a week go out for a beer with somebody I admire. Um, and it, you know, I do it a little bit in January and then I get busy again and, and it doesn't, it doesn't uh, pan out that way. Well, now you're getting your head around Spark, so you'll, you'll be like on social media. Yeah, exactly. Time. See, I need to, you know, I need to do something. Social media doesn't count either. I, I actually I try to avoid Facebook. It's very, very toxic. Um, I put things on there, but I try not to actually go through and read it. Uh, I find that oftentimes people who are very marginal in my life will wind up taking up way too much brain space. Like I only have, my brain's not very large. And so uh, there's only X amount of space in there. And I'd prefer it was taken up with work or family or something important as opposed to some, you know, somebody's cousin talking about politics or, or you know, saying awful things. Uh, I just, I, then I dwell on that all day. And like, why do I care what this person thinks or doesn't think? So do you, do you work from home? I do. I, my studio's in the house. Um, which is great. I have two children, uh, which we covered already. They do actually put their shoes on now, but uh, they, <laughs> the they see it worked. But it allows me to be there for them when I need to be there from them, for them and then go back to work. Because I've always been sort of a workaholic anyway. And so it's easier to work until midnight when you're in your own house than when you have to drive to downtown and park the car and, you know, sit in some, some office somewhere. Do you have any, any secret tips to working for, to being productive when you're working at home? Do you wear pants? <laughs> I do. Personal. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I don't get, I mean, there's those people that are like, you should get up in the morning and put on a tie. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I don't, I'm not wearing a tie now. And I'm actually like at a place where I need to look decent. I, I think it gets back to that sheer terror, but this time it's not the terror of having ideas or not. It's the terror of paying the bills. And so if you're at home and you're not, it's work, you know, working from home. That's the important part. Uh, is the working part. If you're just at home watching TV, within six weeks, your income will have completely dried up and you know, you're gonna have to go get a real job. So don't fold the laundry, don't turn the TV set on. You know, hopefully you have a room that you can go into that's the office room. And when you go in there, like get to work. Uh, I feel now that life's so blended anyway. I mean, you can go to the office and spend the whole day on Facebook too. So it's, <laughs> it's not necessarily where you are anymore. It's your mindset. So I, I try to sit down and, and uh, chop out a big enough chunk of time where I can really dive into a project, which is for me about four hours. Right. Uh, and, and then at that point I will break for lunch or I'll go get the kids from school or whatever. And then once I get whatever that was settled, I can go back in and work again for another chunk of time. So I don't do an eight hour straight through. I'll do like six hours and then three hours and then, you know, and maybe two hours later at night or something like that. This is really, I mean, we're, we're both working from home more and more and we're really desperately trying to work out how, how to make it work. I, I, maybe I'm not the guy to talk to about that. <laughs> have, you, have you had some near misses? It's just, you know, it's a lifestyle, uh, but you don't, you're never on and you're never off. Um, but everything's so integrated and mushed together anyhow that I'm not sure I could really like, all right, now it's time for work and now I am done and I'm going to go hike in the woods. It's, it's just not the way I've ever functioned. So when you go through customs, what do you call yourself? Like what's, what's your occupation? 
Designer. Right. Just designer. It's general enough that it's, I make things, you know, <laughs> I design things. I don't really make them, I just sort of design them, and somebody else makes somebody them. Else makes them. <laughs> yeah. As far as illustration goes, though, with um, like students coming out, do you think there's still an illustration industry? Oh, yeah. Illustration's hot. I mean, it could go away and get replaced by photography again any minute now. I mean, I think there was a point. I mean, if you look at all the wonderful stuff coming out of the 70s and 80s, and then it, I think, I don't know, illustration went away for a while and photography took over, which, which could happen at any moment. Uh, they threaten that all the time, but I think illustration is, is a very viable uh, career. You need to love it. I mean, it's, you, banking is probably a better place to make money, uh, but I wouldn't discourage somebody from going into it. So what sort of advice would you give them there? I think one of the things I learned uh, late was it's actually okay to have a personal style. Okay. Um, especially as a graphic designer, which is really, you know, I, 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 have a des I went to graphic design school. I didn't go to illustration school. The illustration part was what I carried with me from the punk rock days uh, and eventually realized that I, I, I prefer this sort of Paul Rand, Saul Bass world I live in where I, it's design illustration. It's not just straight design, it's not just straight illustration, but it's, it's type, it's concept, it's form, uh, all blended into one. So it, it, I live on the line between the two worlds, which actually opens up an awful lot more projects for me. I think if I was just a straight up illustrator, uh, a lot of things would be closed to me because you know, a book jacket, for instance, is not something you can do if you can't handle type. Uh, and so I would, you know, maybe I would say, learn some, if you're gonna be an illustrator, still learn some graphic design skills. And that way you can kind of hire yourself to be the illustrator on your graphic design projects. Uh, we were going someplace. Yeah, you basically, you know. It's great. I know this great illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> so, and one of the things you didn't mention there was color, but that's often what comes up when people talk about yes. work. Yes. Uh, the trick to that is don't use black. Right. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if you, if you look at the way a lot of people think about drawing, it's sort of this comic book or, or, uh, or coloring book notion of drawing outlining your shapes like a stained glass window in black and then filling them in and i don't do that i draw with shapes there's no outlines anywhere there's no line work period uh, which is facilitated greatly by working in illustrator because you can draw whatever shape you want and it yep. it's it's a red blob or a red triangle or whatever it is uh, so you can you can work immediately with those things and you don't wind up with that look of the coloring book look which is which is really easy to wind up at if you draw black lines first um, I also find black to be a, a cop-out color, like it's, it's almost like a non-color. Um, so if you want a dark color, why not dark blue? Why not dark red? You know, stick with your palette of, of hues of something other than, than black and white. Uh, and I think it, it immediately brings a lot of life to something to not have it. Uh, black is like this anchor, which can be effective but know when you're using it that it, does, it has that effect. When do you choose the colors? Are they some Well, back to this idea of pulling on the clay, the colors are constantly in flux as I move through these things. And um, it's maybe, you know, I mean, sometimes I'll start out right out of the bat with the colors that stick to it the whole way through. Um, other times, you know, I'll do a whole page of the same thing, just, you know, I'll just pick and choose the colors. Again, back to the digital process, it's as easy as, you know, grabbing you know, use that little, I forget what it's called, where you can select everything that's blue or everything that's red. Uh, and then you're like, well, what's it look like in orange? What's it look like in purple? And I mean, you know, you can do a massive page of color studies in 10 minutes. Because your posters are being printed and colors so important, do you sit there with a Pantone book matching the colors up and things? It, like well, so there's, once everything's actually done and the design is completed, then I'd go through, I do all my own trapping. 
Uh, I do all my own color separations. I spec the colors out of Pantone and all of that. But that's that's uh, that's post right. design in a way. That's the production end of it uh, because everything I'm seeing on screen, I know you know you can't just print an image from screen and expect it to turn out the same colors. You have to translate it into CMYK or spot color or whatnot. But that happens once the design is, is locked down. Right. Okay. Cool. And do you work with a grid? No. You would. It, uh, it's funny. Uh, I, I totally believe in the rule of thirds and all that stuff, but I think what I do is I design organically, and then once I get something up there, I, I start to see the grid in it, right. and I th can then adjust to that. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, these two things make a great diagonal if I just lined them up a little better. Right. Um, and again, it's the fluidity of, of being able to grab any part of your illustration and twist it, turn it, scale it, flip it, uh, that allows you to... Um, back to this one thing leads to another, you can sit back and go, you know, this is good, but it would be better if everything was tilted to the right. And you can grab it all and tilt it to the right. And, and it's a very hands-on process. You don't have to have it all mapped out in your head beforehand. You can see things. It's a feedback loop. You can create, you can look, you can go, oh, okay, I'll make a change. Look, make a change, you know, and then back and forth like that. Uh, it's a much more organic process than simply executing a, a sketch. Yeah. And when you're working, is it is it quiet or is it music? Loud? I have yeah. music going. Um, rock. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to pretty noisy music. Like sometimes I put it on in the car, and the rest of the family's like, "Dude, no!" You know. I didn't realize how grindy it is until I make until I force other people to listen to it with me, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, you wouldn't like this, would you?" You know, like the Jesus Lizard or whatever. Like a lot of people are just like, "What the fuck?" Um, so yeah, it's it's. It's either that or maybe like electronic music, um, doom, you know, like, I'm old, I, I don't know. Hip-hop, some hip-hop. I, I used to be really huge into hip-hop, but as hip-hop grew, I kind of fell away from it, you know? Like, I like Kendrick Lamar, but I don't like anything with the auto-tune, and here I am sounding old. What's, what's, new question. <laughs> the auto-tune. <laughs> the, the kids and their yeah. freaking auto-tune. <laughs> So you're about to go off and do book signing. Yes. Does that feel weird, like having fans who want to? Book I don't really. I don't know if I have fans. I mean, it'll be. I, you know, I've bought. I've got like three three cases of books with me. We'll we'll see if they sell or not. Um, it's interesting because I'll be in the same room with Aaron Draplin, who works extremely hard at having fans. I mean, he's a he's a social media star, right? And so, you know, you want to see some fans. There'll be a line at his booth, I can guarantee you. Uh, I should probably, again, leave the house a little bit more and, you know, try to nurture a relationship with people who like my art. Um, I think at this point it doesn't feel weird because it's typically just other designers. I mean, I have, I mean, I have a book collection that weighs thousands of pounds. I have so many books because I, I see something I like and I admire it. I want to support the designer and the illustrator and I, I, I'll buy their book. Uh, so I think a lot of people here are other designers and illustrators who will now buy my book. And if they have a book in the future, maybe I'll buy theirs. And so it isn't, it isn't, I think, to the level of fandom yet. Maybe I can get it there. That'd be great. Maybe today's the day. Yeah, maybe today's the day. <laughs> would, you, would you ever, I mean, could you, is it calling cro crossing into fine art? Would you cross into fine art and produce? Produce what? One-offs or... I think about it. I think, you know, I, I have this vision of someday retiring and not like just, you know, growing old playing shuffleboard, but being able to do things like producing uh, monoprints, mono um, things like that, where I'm, I'm really concentrating on experimental short run printing. I'm a printmaker. I've tried painting before. I'm not very good at it. Uh, it feels, I, per, I basically 
paint like I'm making a print. I'm like, okay, I'll fill in all the shapes. And I'm like, why am I bothering doing this with paint? You know, I could just pull a squeegee. And uh, so I think I, I would probably stay within the printmaking world, but I would like to expand. Uh, and I could see getting into that, but I've always been attracted to multiples. This notion of making, you know, designing one thing and printing a thousand of them and spreading them all over the world, and you know, I, I think I like that more than the one-off. And what, what's next for you? Like, what are you working on at the moment? Do you have any big projects coming up? Or? Well, he's, he's obviously coming to Australia with all the people, all the clients. Here. All right. Yeah, actually, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm moving to Australia. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always working on stuff. I mean, I have. At any given point, I'm juggling like 12 projects. Right. Um, so on the bigger end, I'm doing a big series of um, uh, display. We're calling them posters, but they're not really posters. They go for their old Navy stores, like these giant things that are like these mega posters that we're going to put in all the shops. Um, you know, on a smaller scale thing, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing posters. I've got probably four book covers going right now. Uh, I'm constantly trying to uh, animate things, even though I don't have animation clients. I'm trying to animate daily just to to keep that flow going. Um, so I I'm, I. Again, terror. The theme of this is I, I really don't like being not excessively busy. I, I really have to be very busy or I get, I get antsy uh, and I run out of money. <laughs> Good motivation. Yeah. Great. Well, thank well thanks for having thank me on. Much. Thank you so much. It was fun. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. All right. Cheers. We hope you guys enjoyed that. We certainly enjoyed having a chat to Dan. Um, usually we go around the table and ask people where we can find them. Where can people find Dan, Matt? So if they go into danstyles.com, so it's D-A-N-S-T-I-L-E-S.com. Uh, and incredibly, his email is dan at danstyles.com. Dan at styles? Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out because his, uh, his website has got all his work and you can even buy work there. And he did a really good talk at Adobe Max, so we're actually going to put that in the show notes as well. Cool. Okay. We'll just do like a little tiny URL kind of thing to that. And where can people find you? Leechworth on Twitter. Cool. And I'm at Flynn Tracy. And you can find this episode and more at ausdesignradio.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud at ausdesignradio. Thanks. Our first non-ANZ person. Yikes. <laughs>